Hi there, Glocal citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from a new city in the U.S. I'm in Atlanta. Woohoo! So Atlanta has become part of my yearly rotation a few times a year because one of my dear cousins is here with her family. And so I love to come down, first of all, as a break from the winter cold or to remind myself that there are tropics in the U.S. in the summertime. I mean, it's a dynamic city. And if you haven't checked it out, folks, it's a city to check out. It's a city on the move and on the rise. So that's just my uh, day in the life update for you listeners. And I have a really exciting guest this week, which is someone who's really close to my own heart in the work that I do in Ghana. And so I was so happy to be introduced to her from another guest. I love my local citizen tribe of former guests. And so I'll put a link to the former guest. Yvonne Cameron is her name. And she was on, I'll put the episode in the show notes so you all know. She introduced us and I'm so happy to host her. She is a pharmacist who earned her doctorate degree from the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy, a top institution in the U.S. She is the author of the groundbreaking book entitled The Yoruba Sound Book for Children. And she's also the CEO of Tycoon Publishing, which focuses on publishing books and materials related to faith and culture. Dr. Taye Ayula Adadeji, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Thanks for having me. Yay. Yes. So let's let's just jump right in. Let's talk. Let's talk. So where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? Okay. So a three-part question. So I'll tackle the first one. I am a Nigerian. For technical purposes, I'm a Nigerian-American because I've spent most of my life in America. But uh, in my formative years, I spent a long time in Nigeria, long enough for the culture to be imbibed in me. And so I carry that identity with me wherever I go. But specifically, I'm a Yoruba woman. So that's one of the major ethnic groups in Nigeria. Locally, I am in Maryland, in the United States. That's where I've called home for a few decades now. And my craft, as you just uh, mentioned, is uh, an author. By training, I'm a pharmacist and I still have my day job. But on the side, you know, I'm, I'm proud to wear the hat of author and most recently, I guess you could say a speaker in the making mm-hmm. <laughs> in the sense that uh, the book has led to me being invited to speak on certain things or have, you know, some interviews where I speak about language and culture and just the importance of passing that on to the children. Nice. So I'll leave that in a nutshell. <laughs> nice. So in a former life, and this kind of ties to my education background as well, I did Teach for America and I taught science, middle school science in D.C. And so I lived in Silver Spring, Maryland for a couple of years. So tell us about your Maryland. So where are you in Maryland? I'm in PG County in Maryland, which is the perfect place to be if you're wanted to speak on matters related to culture and identity as an immigrant to the United States. It's just a wonderful hub to be in. So close to DC where, you know, the movers are and it's almost like a melting pot of so many different cultures, right? So we have access to exchange ideas and have some impact on that level. Yeah, I was in for quite some time and for some reason I just no matter where I go, I always come back. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. PG County is definitely known for that. And so, yeah, especially in the time. I mean, it was kind of known for that. And I was in D.C. many, many years ago. But in the past decade or so, it's become even more of like this cultural, I guess, diaspora center point because there's a lot of Africans in particular. But but I would say the Caribbean, like just a whole African diaspora is really taking foot there. So nice. I think, yeah, you're definitely in the right place. I'm in the right place. I think so too. I can't, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So you're also Nigerian and Yoruba. So tell us a little bit more about your Yoruba roots as well. Yeah. So I'm a Yoruba woman. I'm proudly so. Yoruba people are located primarily in the southwestern region of Nigeria. But what a lot of people do not know is that there are actually Yoruba people in Benin Republic, which is a neighboring country to Nigeria and Togo. And because of the, you know, I hate to say this, but because of the slave trade, you find Yorubas actually are in Brazil and Cuba as well. And so 
over 40 million people speak the language and that's such an astounding number of people. But oftentimes people don't even know that too, including people who are Yoruba. And so for me, it's sort of like a mission to sort of get the word out to everybody to say, hey, this Yoruba culture, Yoruba people, we are, it's a rich culture. It's a rich language. We are everywhere in the world. We need to be known and we have a message that can impact the world positively because there are some key components to being a Yoruba person. I guess some key principles that we abide by, generally speaking. I mean, I don't want to be descriptive here, but there's something even called Omoluabi, Mm -hmm. which is a person that has integrity, that's honest and trustworthy. And I know many generations ago, there was emphasis on that, meaning that if you were going to show up in the world, you better be an Omoluabi, which means you better show up in the world as someone with integrity, that's trustworthy and honest. And so for me, I'm trying to get back to those roots and trying to remind people that are Yoruba and even other people who may be interested about these principles that we need to go back to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you you said it a lot in that because I think where we are experiencing the biggest crisis in our human evolution is with this idea of being good people and that integrity and showing up with kindness. So yeah, I love that you have that as, you know, and the words, you know, I feel like oftentimes the English language doesn't necessarily communicate the depth of the emotion that is in some of the words that are in our tonal languages. Absolutely. To piggyback off of that, you're right, such a tonal language and you're right, English doesn't do it justice. You know, we have things like oriki, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, which is like a, a poetic pronunciation or poetic, it's a poem in the form of a song that is oftentimes crafted to imbibe lessons and pass on lessons about someone's lineage, their ancestry, what their ancestors have done, what's expected of them, who they are in the world, who they're expected to be in the world. So in a short one minute to three minute span, when you hear that song being, you know, is a song or sang now? I oftentimes that the the tense. Oh right, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Where the song is sung, I guess we could say that. <laughs> when you hear, let me phrase it this way: Oftentimes, when you hear people singing, yes. the Oriki, it it moves you in a way that if you were to translate that to English, the meaning would would be lost, right? And then you know. There are lessons even in the cultural practices, such as like in the mornings or whenever you see an elderly person, you're expected to bow and prostrate. You know, it's like in Yoruba to curtsy is to kunle. So that's for the females. The women will do that with the girls and then the males would do ballet. And so for me, part of what pushes me to really embody these cultural practices and try to get other people to wake up to it is that it's helping me raise my children, right? If I can pass on these principles to them in the form of culture, then there's less work, hopefully, for me ahead of, you know, when they're much older, I don't really have to spill too much out because I'm already teaching them how to be humble, how to be respectful, and all these other principles that parents oftentimes want to pass on to their children. And I want to add that there's Yoruba people also in Ghana in the form yes. of Ga. So the yes. Ga people, I'm a Ga. So the Ga people, <gasps> we our roots are yes. Yoruba land. So so there's definitely that. That just gets me so excited. Because it unifies us in some way. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, when you think about the African continent, we've been conditioned to separate ourselves from each other. But really, we're so connected in our cultural practices, in our beliefs, in our principles, in just a lot of things. And so that excites me that you are God. I met somebody recently that said she was that. And no, actually, this person was from um, Kenya. Oh, okay. And she mentioned what her tribe was, her ethnic group. And that, you know, because I had guessed that maybe she was, you know, her husband was Nigerian. She said, oh, no, 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 we're not. We're Kenyan. But his ethnic group traces their ancestry back to Yoruba land. Yes. You see how interconnected we are. Mm-hmm. And so... This excites me. How did you, can I ask you now, can I turn the tables back on you and ask you how you found out that you, you can trace your ancestry back to the Yoruba people? Sure. Well, my parents 
Uh, you you know our our conflicts between the Ghans and the or Ghanaians and Nigerians because of the histories or whatever. So my parents wouldn't necessarily share that with me growing up until I started to live in Ghana and start to understand. You know, I had a friend once who was speaking Yoruba, and I was hearing what he was saying. So I was kind of like, that sounds like Ga. Like there's something about it that sounds a bit like Ga. And so. I, you know, asked and I said, oh, you know, is there something similar? And so then my cousin was like, oh, yeah, you know, we come from Yoruba land. So, yeah. So it's just, you know, just being more with my my family and everyone. It's just like, yeah. So you're my sister. Hello, sis. Oh, obviously. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So let's talk about how you came to be doing what you're doing, right? So tell us more about the, you kind of talked about the inspiration for coming into the book, but before you became an author, you you went the African child route, I think, by becoming something that is a science profession. Yes. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about, you know, why, how you chose that route and then the transition or, or the add-on of like really going for it and, and moving into the space of author. Right. So as you alluded to, oftentimes in the African family, there are certain professions that you, you know, I don't want to say must, but that they sort of emphasize that you should go into. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say that my parents forced the pharmacy lane on me, but I will say that because of my family structure and how where I grew up and seeing other people in science-related fields, it sort of was sort of the natural way to go. Pharmacy seemed to me like the perfect intersection between science and counseling, because at some point mm. I thought I was going to be a psychologist, right? Because when I read about it, you know, it was oftentimes the pharmacy would be called to counsel about medication yeah. and warn them about certain things. So I thought, okay, this is perfect. I can, you know, I in my other life, if you will, I'm a psychologist. So I can merge, you know, my love for psychology and science together and pharmacy just seemed to be that perfect fit. My dad is a physician as well, very brilliant, genius man. And so he serves as my inspiration in terms of the bar, the expectation in, in your career choice, right? And so with my dad and my mom's guidance, you know, I picked pharmacy and got the support that I needed to, to go through that program. Now, like I said, I haven't absolutely ditched my career, but I recognize that we are created for a particular purpose in this world. It's not just to go to work nine to five. There are specific tasks that I think we individuals are tasked with, right? That we must impact this world before we leave it. And so for me, when I started to really think about what my passion could be, and then after having children and trying to pass on my cultural language to them, I felt that a light sort of, a light bulb went, went off in my head to say, you know, this could very well be how you impact the world, right? You're trying to pass on these principles to your children. You're trying to make sure that they learn about your culture and pass on a sense of identity to them so that they can show up more fully aware of who they are in the world and not necessarily ascribe to any labels that may be put on them, right? Being African or Black, you know, Know, all these different labels that come with their own sets of stereotypes, right? So for me, it was important to pass on this culture to them so that they can be fully aware of who they are and can show up more authentically in the world and be proud of who they are. And so in so doing, the idea came that if you're thinking in this manner, there are probably other parents or people just like you in the world that want to do the very same thing. But unfortunately for them, either they don't have the time, the energy, the passion, the zeal, the resources, why don't you create something that would serve as a resource to make it easier for them to do exactly what you're trying to do with your children? And that's how the book was birthed, right? It came about 2020 during the pandemic. As soon as the pandemic hit, I said, you know, instead of giving into fear and giving into anxiety about the unknown because there was so much going on in the world. You know, at the same time, there was, you know, if you listen to the news, it was just bad stuff going on. I said, instead of giving into that energy, I'm going to harness that and redirect it to something productive and positive. And so I started this journey in 2020 and there was a lot of sleepless nights, but that's how I knew that yeah. it was really, truly passion, right? It didn't bother me that I had only a couple hours of sleep a night. I was just excited to get up and get to this work that I believe is now my calling. And so 
to take a step back, I'm curious about the pharmacy space because mm-hmm. I think, and this is kind of tangential, but but I think you you might appreciate just kind of thinking about it in terms of this thing that is part of your life too. So just thinking about what's going on with medication and, and how, you know, we're in a lot of ways starting to rethink how we heal with plant medicine versus, you know, chemical medicine. So do you have a sense or have, are you seeing in your circles of, you know, in the pharmacy circles, any kind of movement toward, you know, more plant medicine in the pharmaceutical context moving forward? Or do you, you know, do you see the big business really making it a challenge? And I say this because I I think, you know, in a number of states, cannabis has now been legalized, particularly for medical uses. And there's research that is showing that it is more effective for a lot of different psychological diseases, inflammation, a lot of those things. So really thinking about how that business could or might change and might change the nature of your work in that space. So I had the opportunity to work in the community as a community pharmacist Mm. early on in my career, right? And so I think if I was still in that role, I may have a better understanding of what the shift, if there is a shift, if that is occurring more rapidly at this juncture. I do know, as you just mentioned, that cannabis is starting to become very popular and be studied more frequently to figure out if it's can be used in a variety of disease states and for certain illnesses. Uh, In the capacity that I work right now, in the space that I work right now, it's hard for me to give an opinion as far as what people are doing outside of, because I work in with an agency, uh, a regulatory body, Mm -hmm. right? yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So from my perspective, the big pharma is still a big component of Sure, of the business. Of the space, of the business, right. And so I think to be safe, I will leave it at sure. that. And but, but from you know my personal opinion and within my own family dynamic, I do know that we as a whole lean more towards the preventative yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> method of making sure that before you get to a point where you're treating a disease, how do you even take care of yourself so that you do not get to that point? And we recognize the value of plant-based medicine. In fact, in pharmacy school, I did, there was a course uh, known as complementary and alternative medicine where they go through a lot of these herbs and what the uses are. And it, it would really astound a lot of people to find that there's so many natural plants and herbs out there that actually do, that are very potent and do a lot of things and help out and oftentimes with minimal side effects. And so if one is ever chance to you know, if you're ever in a position where you could explore those options, the, the encouragement should be there to to do that and see how it works well. Of course, it doesn't take the place of other treatment options. I, you know, I have to be very clear about that. It doesn't take the place of other treatment options because they are science-based. They've researched a lot of the medications and they go through rigorous review to ensure that they're safe and efficacious. And so, I am not saying that people shouldn't use medications or of that sort. I'm just saying that for certain conditions, there are herbs that are very potent and efficacious for those uses. Thanks for that. I think the key pieces, as you said, is to be proactive about your health in advance. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And that kind of dovetails with culture, right? So, you know, when we think about our indigenous cultures, there's so much of that, even in the stories that kind of tell so many stories about go do, go and this and get this and yeah. Yes. And, and the sad part, well, the positive thing is that there are people that still know about these herbs and still use them to alleviate conditions that may otherwise persist if they didn't go, you know, to get those herbs and use them. The consequence of having been under the colonial rule is that a lot of these practices have been demonized. And so our mindset, that, oh, you know, don't don't use anything that's mixed by someone who is not Western trained. And that's unfortunate because there are people who God has given the ability exactly. to know how these herbs work. I mean, before Western education was introduced into our cultures, there had to be people who were taking care of the sick. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. There had to be people who were knowledgeable enough and trusted enough and have done their own research, if you will. Yes. 
that could take care of their fellow men and women and children. So, you know, so I think it's important to recognize that our culture, you know, the knowledge within our cultures, they cannot be discarded. They cannot be shoved to the side and relegated to... Right, or marginalized. And demonized, yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's, yeah. We, I can go on and on about yeah. it, you know? And, yeah, but I think this is a good way to segue into my uh, Glocal Speak question. So we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and how you've come to value it as a Glocal Speak. Now, I'll give you a caveat because I know that in your work, it can be something that comes from your Yoruba tradition or, you know, something that you you hear every day in your your life as a pharmacist or in the streets of Maryland. Yes. You know, I take a lot of my lessons from my parents. You know, they're very wise people. I know that I can always turn to them. And so it's really hard to choose one particular thing. But I do know that my parents always tell me to never allow the world, people, or things to change who I am. Mm -hmm. Meaning show up in the world authentically as you can with all that you have. And I don't know if that sort of resonates in the space of what you were asking me about, but it helps guide me in the sense that even the work that I say work, even this space that I'm finding myself in being an author, especially an author of a cultural book, You find that there's such a push to assimilate so quickly into the environment and to be engulfed by it that before you, even my accent right now, right? You know, because I've lived more of my life in the U.S., my default accent is American, but don't don't get me wrong. When I get around (laughs) my people, (laughs) my Yoruba, you know, my Yoruba accent comes out. But when I speak English, oftentimes it's more American. It sounds more American than it does Yoruba, although you can hear Yoruba accent infused in that. So, so for me, I have to be self-aware of who I am, where I'm from, where I'm going, so that I don't take on too much of the external world and society, and then it shapes me into who I was not meant to be. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That's sort of like a convoluted way of just saying that show up authentically and be who you are. Yeah. Don't allow the world to change you, to shape you, to put labels on you, to to tell you what you can or can't do. Yeah. Uh, to relegate your culture and you and your people and your Africanness to the side, because really I'm African and very influenced by American society, but I am African. I'm Nigerian. I'm Yoruba. And so even when I'm at work, when I'm asked to introduce myself, my name is Taye. Yes. Ayola. And when I change my name to my married name, Taye Adedeji. So I don't conform to wanting to change the tone because I'm trying to please the people I'm telling my name. My name is my name. It has known that it does. And the tone actually puts meaning on it. So I'm going to say it the way that is supposed to be pronounced, whether you accept it or you don't accept it. That's okay by me. (laughs) Exactly. I love it. Yeah. And then the other thing that I will say, because I, you know, I try to really adhere You know, I try to walk in this world with some spiritual principles, too. And so if I can share a verse that I go by all the time that works for me Mm -hmm. and helps me, it is Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which says, says that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And the reason why I say that and it guides me is that no matter what you go through in this world, For me, when I think about that verse, it says to me that it doesn't matter what detours you go through. In the end, if you align yourself with the will of God and you're in your purpose, everything will work out well for you in the end. You may, you may, some people choose the tough route and make decisions that get them through the toughest route where they could have been smelling roses. They're now, you know, doing other things that are more, (laughs) you know, that are more. Yeah, depressing or what have you, as long as you continue to realign yourself back to the will and the purpose for which you were created, which is good, then everything will work out for your good. Mm. You know, the less you learn, the people you encounter, the experiences you have will end up being to serve you and help you grow and yeah, just be a better human being in this world. Sure. So you you brought up your parents. And so I think that's a good point to ask a little bit more about the why, the where. So this is when I ask you how 
you came to be living, working and playing where you currently are. And so I think a little of that comes from your parents and getting from Nigeria to the U.S. So tell us a little bit more about that. My parents actually came to the U.S., I believe it was early 70s, I want to say, or late 60s, I believe. And my dad at the time was the chief resident. And if I don't get this right, he's going to say People said anything at all. But anyway, he had a, a prominent role, uh, you know, and so they moved to the U.S. with my oldest brother. And then uh, I think my mom either was pregnant with my sister or she was just, she had just been, yeah, she was pregnant with my sister, I believe my oldest sister. Anyway, that's just, by, this, by the way, I'm trying to, in my mind, retrace their steps and really make sure that I do the, the story justice. So sure. <laughs> part sure. of the extra no information here. Anyway, so, but then they went back to Nigeria, right? Oh, okay. And I was born in Nigeria, but my mom, who has always been a trailblazer because she actually was the first, you know, she also, she has authored, you know, several books. And so I think in my mind, subconsciously, I'm probably like, okay, mommy did it so I can do yeah. it too. Yeah. So nevertheless, my mom decided to come back to the United States decades later. And so she sort of was a trailblazer in that way. I finished up my JSS. I didn't finish, but it was around that time that I came uh, along with my twin sister to the United States and started oh, high school. Oh, yes. Taye is a twin. Taye was like the first, you know, the, the child, the first child to taste earth. Yes. So when people hear the name Taye, if you really know anything about Yoruba culture and Yoruba language and all of that, yes. you know that. That means that you have a twin. Yes, you know? exactly. And so I have a twin sister. And if you recall, oftentimes I've said I've said we, mm -hmm. and then I changed it to I because in my mind I'm thinking about us. Yes. you know, my, myself or my twin sister. Yes. And so we now that you know the time <laughs> exactly. we came to the United yeah. States and you know and started high school here. Okay, that's how we came to be in the U.S. Okay, the transition to the U.S was interesting because, you know, oftentimes when you grow up in an African country, everybody looks just like mm -hmm. you. And so there's no racism. There are other things, but there is no racism. You're not looked at and judged by the color of your skin. And so that concept was very foreign to me. In fact, I didn't even know how to detect it. I just knew that in the high school that we were in, it was primarily Caucasian, mm -hmm. right? And so, and I think we might have even been the first Africans mm. in the high school. I want to say that. Sure. I actually want to say that, but but don't quote me on that, but I believe so, right? At least at the time, for a period of time, we were the only African students in the high school. And so a lot of, you can imagine all the questions we received yeah. in yeah. terms of, you know, how did you get here? You know, did you, did you swim here? <laughs> you know, yes. all these other things that I honestly don't even want to regurgitate right. because they're so yeah but it stems from a lack of knowledge right. you know mm -hmm. it stems from ignorance and lack of exposure and that's part of what sort of drives my what I'm doing now mm -hmm. is to enlighten other people and educate them about Africa and particularly the Yoruba people because I'm Yoruba so sure. I can only speak on what I know right yeah but at least give them some insight into African culture and African languages so that hopefully their children don't go asking the same mm -hmm. sort of questions mm -hmm. that, you know, were very interesting to me. Yes. And I said to myself, yeah, you know, these people really do not know much. And so it was an interesting transition. But luckily for me and for my twin sister, first of all, we had each other. Well, let me see this. Secondarily, we had each other. But first of all, our parents really, you know, instilled in us this self-confidence, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. That whenever you go out in the world, you just, you are, be proud of who you are. Speak confidently. You're, it's okay. You're in a space. They may not know who you are and about you, but you, you educate them. You, you are in a position to educate them. And so I, me I remember my dad always used to say that, you know, to say that, be bold, be proud, put your chin up, look, stare at people, like give them eye contact. You are an Ayola, as he would say. And so... <laughs> That's my maiden name. And so that has always been at the back of my mind. So wherever I go, I may, you know, as we all are, you may be nervous because you're entering a new space or you're doing something new, but that's normal. Right. But you cannot think that you're less than, 
You know what I mean? You have to be confident about who you are. And I'm trying to pass that same thing to my children, you know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nice. So let's talk about that further passing that along. So it's the pandemic. You've decided that you have this passion to do this, to create this book. And and I'll give you a little background because my mission and why I moved back to Ghana is to teach, to be able to share Ghanaian languages with, first of all, helping literacy in Ghana, because in many of our schools, children are learning in a foreign language when they start, because they're learning in English and they don't speak any English at home. So it becomes this really difficult challenge of learning your first conceptual visualization of words and numbers in a language that is not your own. So so that has been like a driving force in the work that I'm doing, creating educational teaching and learning materials in Ghana and local languages. And so when I see your book and I see that this is something that trans translates not only in the U.S. context, in the multiple diaspora context, but also in in Nigeria, because I feel like this is also a tool that can be used in that space. I want to understand how you went about assembling your team and then going with the production, because that's a big piece of this, because this is not just a, a book. This is a learning tool. So tell us more about that. Quite an interesting journey, right? You can have an idea, but getting it to the finish line, getting the finished product is another thing. And so when you say assemble my team, I think the team just naturally came in the form of my parents, my mom, who was me at the time with us, my husband and I and the kids at the time, my husband. uh, And then I relied also on my oldest brother. So it was a confidential thing. And of course, I would engage my dad from time to time on certain things. So it was really a family Project And then, of course, my siblings, you know, they have their lives, their own lives. And so they're busy in their own way. And so, you know, I would just call certain people for certain parts of different things to run some things by them. So essentially it was entire the entire family that was involved in this process, primarily driven by me and with the idea that I believe God gave me. But that was it. It wasn't I didn't have uh, an institution behind me. I didn't outsource the creative part to any company uh, the, from registering the company that uh, serves as the umbrella and the publishing company that birthed it, through which I was able to birth this book. I went through the process of registering that on my own, uh, the creative process in terms of even dictating the words. It's my voice. My voice sounds a little different now because, again, I'm getting over sure, something. No but, but you have a voice for it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I drank my honey and lemon yes. and I got to work. Yeah. So the, the sing, even the singing in the book, I did that, you know, because for me it was important to, I, oftentimes I believe that the intention with which you do something translates, right? I, the intention. And so for me, it was important to be as much as involved in this project as I possibly could be. Now, I, I don't have all the skills. And so the technological aspect of it had to be outsourced, but- the outline, the content, the the voicing, the singing, the translation, everything was driven primarily by me. And I say that with all humility, of course, with the support of my family as well. Uh, so that's really how it came about. Um, I did it in my home. <laughs> and then once I had an outline of what I wanted to include in the book, which I based that specifically on my own children, because they served as the inspiration, right? This book is for little kids. It's, it's everyone can use it, right? Because language doesn't change just because you're 40 or you're 20 or you're two. If you're going to start learning a particular language, you have to first learn their basics. So everybody can use this book. It's an educational tool for everybody, but it's branded for children because I was using my kids as my inspiration and, and as my muse to figure out what they would like and what potentially other children would like. So once I got that outline, it was now a matter of finding the right vendor, Mm, the right mm -hmm. company to help produce this book because I don't have the technology in-house to do it. And that process was interesting because I called some local American companies and I don't think they understood what I was trying to accomplish. And I don't know if they were interested because it's 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 a cultural book, right? And maybe they didn't even know what Yoruba, what is Yoruba, you know. So 
I realized that if I went that route, I probably would have been delayed longer than I wanted to be. And I had this sense of urgency for some reason to really get this book out quickly, not compromising the quality, but there was in my head, there was a time frame by which, by when I wanted to get this book out. And so if I had kept calling all these American companies, I probably wouldn't have been able to produce the book because I don't think that the people that I interacted with understood my vision, my mission, the purpose of the book, and even the market. You know, I I don't think they understood that, but I understood it. There was a sense of urgency for me. I'm, I'm dealing with my kids who I'm trying to pass on the culture to. I'm sure many other many other families are in that same predicament. And so I understood the market, that there was a market um, uh, for this. You know, there was an audience that was going to really be impacted by this work. And so I I went out there and searched and luckily found a company that seemed to be the right fit. And I took a risk by giving them my PI, my yeah, IP. Um, yeah. But every every business venture, every idea you want to materialize, you have to be willing to take a risk. And so that's what I did. And um, so far, so good in the sense that I haven't heard anybody, you know, duplicating exactly what I, you know, what um, I was able to publish. So that's so when you, you mentioned that you had been doing this with American companies, so you're producing abroad, I'm assuming. Yes. And oftentimes, really, that's even the American companies, the companies that uh, produce. Yeah, they do it abroad as well. Yeah, do it abroad as well. So they just serve as your middle person and they put their own margin on top of it. So you're paying exactly. more than if you actually just eliminated them respectfully and go directly to who can help you accomplish your goals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, nice. so I think that helped me. That helped me. And now I I can say probably that I know how to go from having an idea to executing it, right? It didn't come with it without its own set of challenges. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't an easy process. I didn't make major mistakes, but there are things that I could fine tune for the next time around. But for the most part, it was was relatively smooth, smooth. And um, I'm happy that I have gone through that process. Nice. So you created a publishing company, which now has probably a vision to do even more works beyond this first book. So tell us about your physical and online distribution and and how you're developing those channels and segmenting your market in ways it will help to promote sales and growth. So that is a big part of what I'm currently doing, right? And I'm still learning as I go along because I didn't go to school for marketing. So a lot of this is research and trying to engage engage people who understand my purpose, the mission and the vision and the work and seeing if I can get some knowledge from them to help me along this path. So that's a disclaimer right there. Currently, the book is available on Amazon and I have my website www.yourtones.com where people can purchase the book. Most recently, I did a, a sign on with Walmart online able to distribute the book because I'm trying to get as many people as possible to be aware of it and to have multiple channels um, from which they can obtain this resource. So those are the three major ways that I'm distributing the book. Locally, though, I do have one or two stores that have the book on their bookshelves in the stores. And so I, I got the good news that the few books that I copies that I had placed in a particular store got sold out over the holiday period because oh, we're looking for gifts and this just seemed like a perfect gift and it's an innovative, you know, groundbreaking book, you know, and oftentimes people don't really see these kinds of books, particularly with African, African languages. languages. So yes. this, mm-hmm. it's very new in this space. And so I, I'm glad to see that they got sold out there and I had, I restocked it with, you know, a few copies, but it's, it's gaining ground, right? Each month, you know, each year, each period, I'm learning more and figuring out more ways to get the word out. So most recently, well, let me backtrack. Last year, I was focused on participating in community events where they would have vendors come in to showcase their products and all of that. So I did a lot of that last week. I'm sorry, last year, 
locally where I showcased my book and there were a lot of, it was received very well, you know? And so from there, I got to network with other people who are interested in the work that I'm doing. And so last year I got invited to do a children's hour with Yoruba language at a museum. So that actually just happened earlier, about two weeks ago. It was Martin Luther King Jr. um, holiday. I, so, and it was the first time I did anything of that sort, but it was so exciting for me to see the turnout and the children that came and how excited they were to learn and dance. And we had so much fun. We had so much fun. And so it was successful. And so now they're pitching for me to come back and possibly do another class, a similar class like that. And so I'm finding out that through this process of trying to uh, make you know, spread the word about this book and market the book. There are other opportunities Absolutely. that are coming my way that are helping me spread the word even more, right? Because if you can assemble a couple of children in the neighborhood to come and participate in this, then they go back home, they're excited, they share with their friends, their parents share with their colleagues and friends, and then the word spreads in that way. So it's a multi- pronged approach. Sure. Of course. Of course. And, and, you know, that's the global way of doing things, right? Because in my work in Ghana, it really is the community engagement is at the top, actually, because the, just like you said, the culture of it is really getting to look and feel and understand it. And so interacting with you as the author and the, the visionary, and then going into, you know, the academics of it, then it just kind of flows like that. So best of luck to you on all of that. That's so awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited that hopefully you can use this as part of your your toolkit to let people know about the program. And so thinking about minds, I have my mindset hack question. So we're interested in your favorite or an innovative mindset hack. So this is one that you practice, one that you know of, or one that you can imagine. I'll put it in a nutshell. I think it's interesting. I, I used a journal back in the day and I started, I picked it back up. So I journal now and just write things down. And so Earlier this morning, I had some time. So I looked back on what I what my model was last year. And it was focused and faithful. Mm, okay. Focused and faithful. And that has served me well because as a woman, a married woman with a husband and children and a full-time job and so many other things going on, you can get pulled in so many different ways. And time is limited. You know, oftentimes I say that I don't have enough time in 24 hours to accomplish everything I want to accomplish. And so they always say this, you get pulled into so many different things and you have to wear so many different hats on any given day. But what always helps me refocus and brings me back is that I have to be faithful with the purpose that I've been tasked with. And faithful, faithful when I say faithful, means being consistent, Regardless of the applause and the people and the likes and the all the external validation, lack thereof, or if they give it to you, it doesn't matter. You got to do what you are called to do. And so that has been my guiding principle to say that, yes, you're going to wear different hats. It may be challenging, but stay focused in your goal. You have a goal in mind. You're trying to impact the world so that they're a little bit more aware of the richness of the African culture. More importantly, you're trying to make sure that children coming up, particularly in the diaspora, have a healthy sense of identity and can show up in the world more confidently because they know who they are. Mm -hmm. And a third part of it is also motivating my age group, my colleagues, my fellow parents to not discard of they're rich, the rich culture because they're trying to assimilate so quickly and so fast. It's okay to hold on to your identity, even as you navigate the American society or wherever in the world you might be. So anyway, back to the motto, focus and faithful. That's been my guiding principle. Yes. And I'm, it helps me a lot. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's great. That's great. That's a great way to start the day, to end the day, just remembering. Yeah, I like it. I like remembering it. Remembering your purpose and walking in that. Yes. Indeed, indeed. So we've talked all about you, the businesswoman and the the professional, but I always like to get a little bit of insight on the person that is not the the person who's purpose and driven all the time, but you know, what you do in your your free time. So so I always like to ask if you're a reader, a watcher, or a listener, and what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens that you can share with us? You know, it's going to sound so cliche. Back in the day when I had a lot of time, I used to really read a lot of books. But because time is so 
precious these days. I don't have the luxury of sitting and reading a book, you know, uh, or if I pick up a book, it, I probably won't finish it for a couple months because it's like four pages at a time. So what I've resorted to doing is listening to things. In the space that I'm in right now, I find that I gravitate more to things that fill me up. Entertainment is great. And that's wonderful. I do that from time to time, but I listen to a lot of inspirational things. So speakers like Miles Monroe that talk very eloquently about purpose. Yeah. So I, I listen to him. There are a few other speakers that I listen to that just fill me up and help get me, help me to refocus and orient me back to what my purpose is. And I, it sounds very serious, but honestly, I enjoy it. No, I get it. Exactly. I get it because I do the same. Yeah. So it's I listen to an array of different things that are in my leisure time, but a lot of them are just kind of for this to help guide the purpose. Yeah, exactly. And I I have so many epiphanies as I'm listening to it. And I always have my book with me. So I'm writing mm-hmm. it down like, oh, my goodness, I need to share this with everybody. I, I love music. Mm-hmm. I love music. And so you, on a Saturday, you may find me with my kids just jumping up and down, dancing to either it's robot music because I'm looking for every avenue to pass on the culture. So I really try to, you know, have them listen to Yoruba music, whether it's on Sunny Day or some Afrobeats that's child friendly, but has a beat and we can dance and they get to run us some energy and we laugh and I teach them some words while we're doing it. So that's oh, been good. Yeah, yeah, right. So that's yeah. great for me too. And, you know, I don't know if this is within the scope of the question, but I also take some time out and go get massages. Of course. <laughs> yes. I need my self-care, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I you know, yeah. I, there are certain foods that I like, you know, so I go and eat my soup when I'm, you know, when there's a lot going on, I'm like, okay, this is mommy day. I'm going to go get a massage. I'm going to go by myself to drink my soup because I, there's something about sipping the soup that just oh. makes me feel so refreshed and soothed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Warming. It's very soothing. Yeah. 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 yeah warming and tea. You know, I love tea too. Yeah. I, I think I'm digressing a little bit from what you are. But no, we get it. We, we, we know that you, you fit, you figure out how to make time for you. So that's great. In terms of books, I've been, I bought a couple of autobiographies. So, but I haven't had time to read them. So obviously Tyson wrote something. I bought that. Violet, Violet Davis wrote something. I bought that. Yeah, so I have a couple of books because I just want to sort of understand how their path, sure. how they got to where they were. But I haven't had time to read them, so I can't really vouch or say anything about the contents. And you'll get to them. They're good for the library. They're icons. So yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of like a must. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so I know your little ones are calling for you. So I don't want to take too much more of your time, but tell us what's what's next for you. And um, and share maybe some just last thoughts for the audience. You know, I envision a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I envision a lot coming out of this. And I say that not with pride, but I say that because I believe that God has a reason why he pushed me to bring this book out, to write this book and create this book. And, and I've seen so far that it's opening up doors in terms of being asked to come and speak and participate in certain activities. So what I envision, though, is that I will be able to infiltrate the system. And by and by that, I mean, even getting to educational systems, right? Because this book is an educational tool, as you rightfully said. And I am in a location where uh, a lot of the people here are the elite, you know, primarily African-American or, or African. And so there is no reason why there shouldn't be uh, additional options in terms of foreign languages. Right. Curriculum change. Uh, in the educational, mm-hmm. Yes. In the educational system, you have they offer French and Spanish primarily. And then in some places, they're starting to offer Mandarin and sometimes maybe Swahili, German. Sometimes, yeah. Maybe Actually, I wasn't even aware that Swahili was spoken, was um, offered, but that's great news. Why not Yoruba? So I'm trying to see if I can get an ear from someone on the Board of Education to incorporate this resource into the uh, educational system and uh, offer this as an option for a foreign language. I don't see why not. So I'm I'm going to pray about that and then um, act on that. I love it. I love it. I love <laughs> yeah, it. What comes out of yes, that. Right. Yes. Right. I'm all for it. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement and the enthusiasm. You know, also, I see that there needs to be people that are motivating other parents or other adults to hold on to their culture, right? And and so I I envision that I'm... I'm falling into that category of people who can hopefully motivate other people to really value their culture and not discard of it and not um, and pass it on to their children because there's value in it. There are lessons to be learned from uh, cultural practices. And so if I can have the space to do that, you know, in terms of even speaking, mm-hmm. I, I welcome that opportunity. And I think that's great that you say that because I think some parents just need a way Yes. You know, they need someone that pulls them along. And I, I can see that in your your energy and in your, you know, the way that you speak that I think that's definitely a place that you will be filling. <laughs> so we're excited. We'll be excited to see where you go next, to see more books, more content. I'd love to collaborate in the coming on different languages, just to kind of, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I forgot to say, you know, this is, uh, this is the first of the the series, right? My, I envision that hopefully with um, uh, more resources on board, I'll be able to come up with additional books so that children who have mastered the material and right. can sing the songs and all of that, what next, right? They need to have an additional resource that they can now build their vocabulary and be able to actually have conversations such that if they were to find themselves among Yoruba people or people that speak Yoruba or go back to Nigeria, at least they can communicate in that way and feel a little bit like they belong, right? Right. right. The, the, uh, yes. Being able to speak the language. So that's one of my other goals is to be able to uh, get out more books and, and have people have additional resources to learn sure. the language. Nice, yes. nice, nice, nice. Dr. Tai, thank you so, so, so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I look forward to seeing more, talking more, all that good stuff. And so thank you. Thank you. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thanks for having me. Your questions were just great. And I hope to stay in touch with you. Yes. Thank you. Indeed. Thank you. All right, Local Citizens, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us Tuesdays with new episodes on localcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, tell a friend. That's how we travel the world, folks. You got to tell a friend. And so until next time, bye for now. Bye.